fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennon. Oh, Dan, it is so great to be here. I'm really excited. I, you know, how often is the sequel so much better than the original? Um, and our episodes do that. They just keep getting better and better. So it's kind of the same thing. So here we are. Here we are. And I got a better question. How often do you recommend a good movie? I mean, that's, oh, really yeah, that's the even less here. often, Dan. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's even less real, often. That is the real miracle that that we we hopefully will get to uh, at some yeah. point. Uh, but there's yeah. one miracle uh, that I always think, and that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, how are things going orbiting the Earth on your brain station? Well, Dan, we need a miracle up here because mm-hmm. I need some help. One of my prized brain specimens has gone missing. So <gasps> I'm I'm bringing you and Denon up here so we can all solve the mystery together. Well, that's what we do. We solve mysteries together. And the mystery of how Denon recommended this movie, I think we got to get to first. Because I will tell you, Denon, I watched the first Knives Out, and I was so excited. And it was the biggest letdown for me personally. Didn't love it. Was very hesitant to watch Glass Onion. But I did it on on your recommendation. <laughs> and I think it was it's everything I wanted the first movie to be. So first, thank you for that. And how did you come across this? Well, you know, Dan, I kind of had a very similar experience for you as you did, but remember, I have no standards. Right. Um, so I watched the first one, was highly disappointed, and I'm like, yeah, it was still fun, right? Yeah. So I'll watch the second. Like, I had hope, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm with you. Like, the basic premise um, of that first movie should have been so much better. Yeah. Right. I mean, the premise was good. The movie should have been so much better. Right, right. yeah. Yeah. You've got James Bond. You got Captain America in a mur- in a murder mystery. How 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 could you win? How could you lose? <laughs> right. Yeah. And to be honest, Dan, I mean, you're the master of film and television. I mm-hmm. I couldn't even put my finger on what they did to screw it up. I just know, like, my expectations was there, and it just never quite got met. Um, but I'm right. like, I'm I'm an easygoing kind of guy, and I'm like, okay, you screwed up the first one. I watched the second one. Let's see what happens. Um, and I'm like, I'm like you, Dan. I'm like, yes, that that's the right movie. Like that right. did it. So yeah, I, I, I just so. had to tell you that. I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, I think of myself as an easygoing guy as well. No one else does, but I definitely do. <laughs> You're laughing a little too hard, Dan, and that was too big. Oh, no, sorry, big, sorry. Big pop there, big pop. Uh, but you know, I I I think part of the first movie was it, the characters were a little big. The story didn't really come together. I don't I don't I couldn't really put my finger on it either. But what I do know is this movie felt like Clue, which is another one of my favorites. I love murder mysteries. I love fun, big characters. You know, it was kind of like pro wrestling without the pro wrestling, although they did have a pro wrestler as one of the characters. So uh, I think that's why it it, it, it tickled me for sure. Uh, but, you know, in that opening sequence, right, the movie first, you come in, and what's the first thing that happens? Every single main character gets delivered this gigantic puzzle box with so many different layers, like mm-hmm. an onion, Mm-hmm. That they have to figure out in order to get where they're going. I want to talk about this first because this was my favorite, not only because I love puzzles, but I love figuring things out. And Ben needs some help up on the brain station. So I feel like the three of us together can not only solve his problem, but probably could have solved this puzzle box as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love the I love puzzle boxes in general. You know, th that was a common fidget toy we would have uh, on our desks at the offices back when we used to go mm. into the office. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we would have these, you know, you got to spin them the right way to open them up or, you know, those mm -hmm. old like uh, things with the, you know, the twisted pieces of metal and you had to, you know, get them around the track in just the right way to break the pieces apart. You guys know right. what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. No, yeah. I love them, no. Ben. Yeah. I have no so, idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I really uh, don't. Oh, I do. My mom <laughs> buys them for me for my birthday yeah, they're, they're every super time. Fun. Just like cute little pieces of twisted metal or forged metal that are like little maze puzzles you get to solve. Um, so oh, I love okay. I love this puzzle box because it, it brought together a ton of different puzzles into clearly mm -hmm. a very, very well-engineered device. I really got to give props to um, the guy miles higher to build the thing because he did they did a very good job you know i will tell you dan the one thing that though this did for me is i do have flashbacks i i am someone who loves puzzles and is always um a little bit disappointed in how bad i am at them mm. uh, <laughs> right yeah. i always feel like i should be able to be better and i do i am someone who gets slightly frustrated except of course as we know, um, the famous um, slide puzzles that I am a master of. Mm. Right. Well, allegedly, I haven't seen your prowess, so I I can't conf neither confirm nor deny your proficiency. Oh, oh Dad, uh, you know I don't lie. But I will take your word. <laughs> I will take your word for it. You know, it's funny. Uh, I think smart people probably had what you're talking about, Ben, were little puzzles on your desk to occupy mm -hmm. your time. Uh, I think dumb people probably have those stress balls that require very little. <laughs> Uh, brain power to squeeze and and throw or whatever. So I okay, think I was I in the latter. Well, we have those too. You know, sometimes <laughs> okay. you, need, yeah. you need that also. <laughs> I, I was going to ask the question, Dan. What does it mean about me that I have both? <laughs> <laughs> a spectrum I mean, of intelligence, as a wise man once said. Once I don't know. I, I have I have puzzles, uh, stress balls, and fidget spinners. So I mean, I I got the whole spectra here. You, you, now, got, now, you Dan, got everything. Mm -hmm. I know it's early in the show. Yes. But really, what everyone should have now, mm -hmm. right, is a fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technology, anything. Mm, right. Sure. Like, they are taking over and replacing puzzles and stress balls. Just mm -hmm. being able to look at my mug calms me. <laughs> right. Interesting. And, and yeah. the puzzle of how to put the water in, how to get the water out. It's a puzzle, but I can solve it. And then I feel good and I feel smart because I and now I put water in a mug. The puzzle of why I don't put coffee in the mug <laughs> is unsolvable. <laughs> so, yes. I, you know, I think that's where we are. I well, think so. I've, actually, that puzzle is very easily solvable. It's because coffee's gross, Denon. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but if, if you want another easy puzzle or maybe not, you got the fascinating giz gadgets, gizmos, gear based technology water bottle which has is really a puzzle box when you think about it because which way do you turn to open oh, interesting it. Yeah. you know right that's that's a puzzle right there uh mm -hmm. and it's one that there's only two possibilities so you'll get it right pretty quick <laughs> hopefully yeah it's it's on it's not quite um you know a piece of twisted metal you're trying to get out of a maze but it is you know more intelligent than a stress ball uh, i think what is truly puzzling is that i don't have anything handy to promote but 
I can solve the puzzle for you because if you go to ftriplegbt.com forward slash merch, you can find all sorts of stuff, uh, branded items as they call them in the biz, <laughs> including a t-shirt that talks about technology, one of my favorites. So uh, that's where we're going. And another one of my favorites, guys, is when they're talking, you know, when they, when they first get this box, right, it arrives on their doorstep and they have to figure out how to open it. Mm-hmm. There's no hinges uh, there's no latches, uh, there, there's no doorway, there, there's no seem obvious way to get into this box. And I love this because I actually own a box that's very similar to this. It isn't as large. It's very, it's much smaller, uh, roughly the size of a brick, which is apparently how <laughs> I describe everything. <laughs> everything I own is <laughs> brick-sized and shaped. Uh, but it's roughly the size of a small brick, and it's a Japanese puzzle box. Mm. And the way it works is you slide pieces of wood in a very specific order in order to open it. If you don't know that order... Or if you forget it, <laughs> you are, which, is, which is also not knowing, uh, you won't be able to get your stuff out without using brute force technology. This is not how that this particular box was was engineered, but puzzle boxes are still pretty cool. Are you guys familiar with these? Yeah. I am, and what I not only puzzle boxes like that, Dan, to open, but just general. Um, lots of there's a lot of 3D puzzles in terms of you know how do you get the shape to hold up, you know, the, mm-hmm. I, I've had um, one of the things my mom got me was a 3D sphere that, again, oh, cool. if you didn't put the pieces together in the right way, it didn't hold its shape. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the inverse of the puzzle box, right? The goal is to actually put it together, not to take it apart. But same basic principle. And what I love here is is the physics of forces and friction, right? I, I think we underestimate how things can get locked into place. Um, in, in interesting ways just right. by that interaction between the different pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I recently received a very cool puzzle where it's a bunch of cubes and sort of te- 3D Tetris shapes, and there's only really one way to get them into the back into the box that they come in. <laughs> so, like, it makes a 3x3x3 three by three by three cube, <laughs> and so it's, it's like a 3D Tetris puzzle of how do you yeah. um, get all this stuff back into the, into the case. So clearly what we just discovered, Dan, is Ben and I like putting things back together. You like taking things apart. It's true. um, For what that's (laughs) worth. It's a lesson to the audience. (laughs) It is true. I mean, it is helpful if you have both of those skills where you can take it apart and then put it back together. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I come from a long line of people who pull things apart that don't know at all how to put them back together again. Uh, My younger brother was obsessed with taking apart lawnmowers, and then they would just be gears and springs and gasoline all over the front lawn. So that's my stock. That's where I come from. Guys, Uh, but you know, I have to tell you, this reminds me of a puzzle that I could never solve. I've never looked it up in the age of the internet. I've never looked it up, but this puzzle was introduced to me as a kid. But it's basically—I'm sure you guys have seen it. It is a a wooden triangle, Mm -hmm. and it has all these little pegs in it. Okay, I think it's um, there might be five on the bottom row, then four, three, two, one. Okay, Mm -hmm. and they're little tees, like little golf tees, and you're supposed to jump from one to the. You leave one hole open. And you jump, and you're supposed to have one, one T left. Yeah. I have, so I, I, I think I saw it at a restaurant. My mom got it for oh, me. Yeah. I was obsessed with it, and I own it. My childhood was spent, roughly two and a half decades were spent trying to figure this thing out. I could never get it. I could always get to three, but they were they were always apart from each other. Have you? So you guys know of this puzzle? Have any of you solved it? Don't tell me how, although it is driving me mad. But have you solved it? Um. 
So, Dan, in my thousands upon thousands of hours, I have never solved it on purpose. Um, <laughs> by random number generation, by mean? random number generation, there was once in my life, um, I, I believe I had one left. Now, the, my life has been very long, Dan. That could be a dream and a false memory. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so it's possible. But, but I do remember going... Crud, I have no idea what happened. How did I get to one? And and never, ever again being able to reproduce that. And like you, Dan, I have not looked it up on the internet yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I tell you real quickly, before we hear from Ben, if he solved it, I used to be able to solve the Rubik's Cube Mm. as as a child. I I could do that. I've forgotten. I was given a Rubik's Cube last year for Christmas by my children, Mm -hmm. um, realized I no longer knew how to solve it. And worse, I looked it up on the Internet and realized I couldn't understand the directions. (laughs) So I just gave up. (laughs) Because there is a formula. It can be be solved for sure. Yeah, I I have a Rubik's Cube and I've I've used the Internet to solve it uh, many times, (laughs) trying to teach myself and failing. Um, but also, yeah, I, I definitely had, I don't remember if I had that golf tee puzzle or if I like just played it in like a doctor's waiting room or something, but I yeah. definitely rem- have strong feelings of frustration and failure related to it. So I, I think I'm in your camp, Dan, that I never figured it out. All right. That <laughs> now, makes me now, feel Dan, a lot better. <laughs> did the one you have, so the one I remember in restaurants, like yeah. on it, like listed your intelligence level based yeah. on how many pegs you had. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- sure, and yeah. I do... To, to make you and me feel good, Dan, I am also a three-peg person. I regularly okay. got three pegs. And I remember the listing was actually pretty smart. Like the game, right. made you feel, the game made you feel good about the fact that you couldn't get it solved. Yeah. Well, it was definitely an insulting puzzle, for sure, um, both to my intelligence, but also, like, verbally abusive on the actual, you know, on it. I did have two. I, I did get it down to two pegs once. And I remember, not to labor, belabor this point too much, but this has been one of my obsessions. But I do remember once hearing or a rumor that if you kept the top peg open, that was the way to solve it. Because you, you, you may have to make a choice, guys. You have to decide which peg you're leaving open. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And and there, it may be impossible to solve if a certain peg is open, right? You don't know. Yes. And so I remember that being the solution is you keep the top peg open. So that was the, I used a lot of permutations with that. That could have been incorrect information. Maybe someone was steering me wrong <laughs> and didn't realize the madness that I would descend into for this simple practical joke when I was a, a kid. But uh, the joke's on them. Uh, I've gone a little <laughs> bit crazy. Who knows what I've done uh, to solve this puzzle? But yeah. one thing I could do without fail, guys, and I th- hopefully you'll be impressed by this, is I could always solve the magic eye puzzles. These were a big phenomenon in the 90s, uh, in my youth, and you know these were a lot of fun. Basically, if you don't know what it is, it's a seemingly abstract picture, uh, dots, dashes, you know, it looks, it looks like a nice little photograph. Um, but if you adjust your eyes ever so slightly, and look past it, and use the proper technique, um, you know, I call it Daniel J. Glenn, technique of excellence for magic eye, <laughs> you could see the object, an object would pop out at you, you know, and I loved, I thought these were a lot of fun, they were very popular for a brief period, this is part of this puzzle box, um, then I'm going to go to you first, because you, you were probably an adult when you encountered these, did you ever see them, or was this strictly youth culture? Okay, so Dan, I don't know if this is embarrassing or I should be proud of it. Um, we actually had them as decorations in our apartment, and we had a book of them. 
like a frame photograph, like a frame, yeah, like a frame magic eye, because it was really cool. And you would look at it in 3D, um, and it, it was a beautiful set of dolphins uh-huh. swimming right when you actually got it right. Um, and, and like I said, I had an entire book of them. So mm-hmm. I don't know what you are talking about this youth culture stuff, Dan. This was art. This was like high class art, you know. <laughs> um, that's great. Now, admittedly, I was in grad school, so I mm-hmm. mean that's borderline adulthood. Sure. Um, yeah. It's a, adult. You're adult adjacent. Yeah. Adult adjacent. But I will tell you the physics of it, Dan. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. Like the ability to just relax your eyes and see it and make it appear took me a little bit. But once you get good at it, it's real easy. I love optical illusions, right? It's mm-hmm. about the same thing. You know, the optical illusion, is it a young woman? Is it an old woman? That's a famous one people yep. may have seen. Yep, yep. The most basic one is to draw, you know, a wireframe of a box in 3D. And, and you can make the front go to the back and the back go to the front. Mm-hmm. And I, I spent hours training myself to do that at will because I thought it was a key skill for later in life. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, you know, what the at will change of the box skill is, but it really goes, you know, the physics, we think of vision as simple, straightforward physics, right? Light bounces off a thing, goes into your eye, the brain receives the signals, it's all chemical, and you see reality. And, you know, these 3D magic eye puzzles, all of these optical illusions really point to the fact that Vision is a complex thing, and it's not just straightforward physics. There's a lot that goes on in the brain, um, and our brain expert could probably even tell us more, but I, I really can't see him right now because, you know, I'm having <laughs> optical illusions. But <laughs> He's there. Yeah. Oh, he's always I'm there. struck by orange and yellow, Dan. That's all I'm seeing right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I spent a long time teaching myself, trying to learn how to do magic eyes, like I remember being told like, oh, you have to like cross your eyes to do it, which sort of is true. But really, the the thing is that like forcing yourself to cross your eyes is actually just forcing yourself to change your focal point, which is what allows you to see the magic right. eye. Um, yeah. And so once I kind of figured that out, I, I became very good at it. Now I can like snap into the 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 the, the dead eyed stare that I like to think of it <laughs> as to mm-hmm. see them. Um, but. Yeah, it, what's fascinating about it is is how it makes your brain work because it, it's it's the same concept behind you know 3D movies and other stuff is that our brains are designed to see, um, know how far apart our eyes are, and they interpret images that are slightly shifted as three dimensional because that's how our stereoscopic our depth perception works. So mm-hmm. the way magic eyes work is that that pattern that looks like just random garbage noise is actually a slightly shifted noise that's shifted by the amount of our eye separation and therefore mm-hmm. when you when you defocus yourself the right way our brain somehow magically can put those two discordant p- pieces of noise together into that 3D shape it's a it's a really fascinating bit of engineering and science behind it well, I will tell you that the Daniel J. Glenn path to magic eye excellence does not have people cross their eyes in the beginning. That is yeah. a horrible <laughs> technique to learn right no, off the bat. No, so. there's, there's a reason it took me a very long time to get it. <laughs> exactly. So you did, you weren't trained properly, and I mm-hmm. apologize for that. We didn't know each other at the time. Yeah. Uh, but I will tell you, so I'm going to read you guys a paragraph. So this is from a Mental Floss article, and this is how magic eye paintings, uh, you know, art uh, then is created, okay? <laughs> Tell me if you understand a word of what they're talking about. Uh, a magic eye image starts with a programmer, so these are computer generated, creating a hidden in it, him, in, 
a hidden image, like those dolphins that you like, Denon, uh, as a grayscale, smooth gradient depth map where dark points that should be furthest away are darker and closer points are in lighter shades. Then they create a 2D pattern to camouflage that image. Finally, a computer program using a magic eye patented algorithm takes the image model and the pattern and takes the image model and the pattern and orients repeating patterns to the intended depth of the hidden image. When someone looks at a magic eye, the repeating pattern feeds the brain the depth of information encoded into it and the brain perceives the hidden picture. That sounds like gobbledygook. I'm sure you guys understand it, but I think I can boil it down to this and then you hinted at it earlier. Viewing happens in the brain. It doesn't happen in the eye. And basically you're creating uh, an optical illusion with algorithms and 3D images and grayscale depth and all that and tricking the depth perception and, you know, creating a hidden image and something that appears to be flat. No, I think that's totally right, Dan, and and I loved your interpretation of it. Um, I think in our next show, we can do an interpretive dance version of explaining that <laughs> sentence because um, <laughs> it'll like be just as meaningful to the audience. Um, but what I what – I, it, it, it does sound like gobbledygook, but what's fascinating to me is it's actually real. Um, and, you know, for a little shameless self-promotion, I am recently – um, coming from AlienCon, where I was on Ancient Alien and Unexplained um, Phenomena Patterns. Um, Ancient Alien is now streaming on Netflix there and also go. available on Amazon Prime. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, you know, get that in. But one of the reasons I bring that up is often, you know, the questions I get asked appear to be gobbledygook <laughs> um, <laughs> in the same fashion um, as, as that description. And sometimes they're actual science and sometimes, like the magic eye, I reorganize the words, and then the question makes a lot of sense. It pops right and on. It works. You. Yep, and it works. You know, <laughs> that is amazing. Well, it is. It is funny because you know there are things hidden. You know, hidden meaning in a, in a seemingly mundane object. This is you know it, it is the you know the uh, defining characteristic of lunatics. You are correct, Denon. But it is also <laughs> defining characteristic of the genius, which we're going to talk about later. But one genius we have to get to is. Bach, right? Why Bach? Mm. Well, in that magic puzzle, there is a moment where they uh, there's a song playing, and it's Bach's Little Fugue in G minor, and Yo-Yo Ma makes this great you know cameo and discusses the the um, how you can take this fugue, play it over itself, and it creates a whole different song. You know, you, I didn't quite understand how that works, so I did a little bit of digging, and Bach is a genius, obviously, but he was really obsessed with music, math, numerology. So I had to kind of go back to my, I had to harken back to my days in band, guys, and dive deep <laughs> into the musical theory here. And what I discovered is that not only was I terrible at music when I was a kid, I'm even worse now that I'm several years <laughs> removed from that. So I was way out of my depths here. But I do know that music is math, Harmony scales, there's all a mathematical computation. So I wanted to go to our math guy. So Ben, does any yeah. of this make sense? Or am I talking the gobbledygook that Denon fears when he goes to these conventions? <laughs> well, if, if you think about music, or well, if you think about sound waves in general, when, you, when sound waves are played over each other, uh, sometimes you get a, um, you just get noise, but other times if, if the, it's the right frequencies, you get harmonies and you get these beat frequencies from the constructive and destructive interference that that noise it is causing with itself. So it, it, in a way it does make sense that if you were to play 
something over itself at a delayed version or something else, you would actually get new frequencies and new things mixed in that could then solve a puzzle if, you know, the microphone in the system is looking for those specific beat frequencies or other uh, interference patterns that occur based on how you're playing the, the sounds. You know, and, and just to build on that, Dan, one mm -hmm. of the cool ways to think about it, right, and we've talked a lot in some of our quantum um, episodes because mm -hmm. quantum waves interfere and do the same mm -hmm. thing. Light does this. But, like, one mental image that might help, I think of it sort of as, like, if you have an encryption key and the encrypted message, right, often, like, to decode something, right, you layer two things together and they mm -hmm. work together to give you a new third thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you could imagine, you know, as Ben said, the, the lock is triggered by a particular set of sound frequencies that are not common to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bach, as you pointed out, Dan, very, very mathematical, very much a genius. Um, you could take one of his pieces that are designed to be sort of very, very specific and, and precise. Mm -hmm. And by shifting them, you get these beat frequencies that Ben spoke of that are, you know, not necessarily normal, but are cool sounds. And now you've detected it. So in this case, what's interesting from like a mathematical and a cipher point of view yeah. is the message and the encryption key are the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's the piece of music. Right. Um, just one shifted from the other and playing them together. And, and that's kind of like a cool math code mm -hmm. puzzle thing that the average sort of code breaker wouldn't necessarily think to use the message as the cipher key itself. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think, sorry. So I think that that's interesting for a couple of different reasons. Number one is that Bach really enjoyed numerology. And numerology is just math, but believing that there's a mystical power to the numbers, right? But it, the math still exists, you know? But having that mystical belief is what fueled him to create these really cool, complex songs that could be played over themselves. He really enjoyed puzzles. You know, his, um, his wax seal was his initials over itself, uh, it, you know, there, there's lots of this going on. So I highly recommend you dig into this because he was really into inter, uh, interweaving his songs over themselves. Uh, but, you know. Um, but Dan, yes. Dan, the more important, more important question, did he solve the golf tee puzzle? You know, I don't think there's no record of it, but I feel <laughs> oh, like okay. of, of all the people we've talked about so far who could solve it. I feel like he's on that list, but I also get a, I also have a very good sense. I've read an entire article on Bach, so I feel like an expert right now. Right. I, I think I could also see him leaving two or three on there and being right in league with us guys. I could also okay. see him okay. doing that as well. So it's a good question. I, I'm glad we addressed it because uh, I think it's important. But the other thing here, uh, I want to talk about, you were mentioning, Ben, about uh, basically you're talking about binaural beats, which are, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. beats that are just a little bit out of tune. There's a lot of cool science behind what that can do to your brain, yep. how it can readjust your brain patterns. I love them. That, that's a whole topic onto itself. But also using music to get through uh, some kind of obstacle course or to solve a puzzle. We've seen it in Goonies, that big organ made out of bones. You got to play the right tunes or you fall down yeah. into a big snake pit trap. Uh, so that's there's a lot going on here, Denon, that I think is very important to understand. Uh, but, you know, we, we he's a genius, box a genius. And I think he used his powers for good. So he would like our show. He'd like my message at the end of every episode. But there are people who use their technical prowess or their genius for evil. And that's what we're going to talk about here now is the this 
what this movie kind of brings to light is the idea of the tech bro supervillain. For a long period of time, it was mad scientists. You know, electricity came into play, so you had, you know, uh, Dr. Frankenstein, atomic bomb. You got guys like Lex Luthor, uh, you know, the mustachioed supervillains of James Bond. You know, these are, it's a little different now. Now with the rise of technology, you got these people who are using that for evil. Uh, I want to talk to you first, Dan, because I feel like Ben of the three of us, could be most corrupted by technology's very apparent power. Well, you know, I, I really like what you said, Dan. There's there's little to add to that because it's so accurate and correct, um, you know. <laughs> well, and so, you, you know, what, what what can I really say? But, you know, what what's interesting about it, um, it, it's the same. There's a parallel here in how superheroes become superheroes that mm-hmm. I love, yeah. right? A society, right? The, the causes of superpowers evolved with kind of the thing we were afraid of at the time. So you have the nuclear radiation era of yep. where you get your superpowers by being in radiation. And then you have the genetic engineering era where you get your superpowers through genetic engineering or biology. And, and, and you know, we're starting maybe to enter the AI area of of superpower getting or the tech area. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes me wonder... Is there kind of a delay? Like, hmm. is the super villain change first, and then the superheroes follow and catch up? Hmm. Interesting. Right. So we're into the tech supervillains, but we're not quite into the tech superheroes yet. So that's I have to go. I have to go re-research my most recent superheroes, um, Dan, and see if if we're, we have a if an expanded hypothesis here. The supervillain, superhero, you know, symbiotic relationship hypothesis. Hmm. I mean, there are definitely a couple of superheroes I can think of that Hmm. use technology kind of as their superpower. If you think about Miss Marvel um, and really her her sidekick, uh, Bruno, if I remember the name right, um, he like makes gadgets for her. And in a way, that's also Batman's uh, shtick, right? The... (laughs) You know, I guess it's not clear. Sometimes it was him. Sometimes it was Alfred. Uh, and sometimes mm-hmm. it was uh, his company uh, engineering mm-hmm. <laughs> the gadgets for him. Wayne but, Enterprises, I believe. Wait, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, there is definitely some of that there that the gadgets are the, the technology. But I think there's a point that as new things come in, it's something we're scared of at first. So you don't see it adopted by the hero. You see it adopted by the villain first. Um, mm-hmm. And then as it becomes mainstream and accepted by society, then the hero can use that, too. I think that's right. I mean, you know, you've got Iron Man as well, who kind of falls into that category. Because yeah. he is, you know, the obvious comparison with the main character in Glass Onion is obviously with Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, you know, you could say. Mm-hmm. And right. Tony Stark kind of straddles that line, right? Like, yeah. he is that yeah. cool, flashy, you know, CEO tech guy who is a superhero but he's mm-hmm. also kind of a tech bro who can be kind of a douche sometimes. Like he's, you yeah. know, he's not always a great guy, which I think makes him a, a an interesting superhero to follow. But also because he blurs that line, he's it's a little gray, right? And and I think science was something that's that was like you mentioned, unknown, scary. But now, and so that's why scientists were the bad guys. But now you've got scientists as the good guys trying to convince these tech CEOs and politicians about what's going on in this, the CEOs and politicians that are the bad guys, you know, who are (laughs) trying to crush humanity. But that's always kind of been the case. But let's talk about this comparison to to Elon Musk, right? So if we're going to use reality, 
Miles on the show, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg. You know, you've got Elon Musk is kind of a hero to some, a villain to others. Teslas are are crashing. You know, Twitter's kind of universally a mess. Nothing that he said was going to happen is really happening. SpaceX is the cool way to get stuff into space. And in some ways, he's kind of cornered that market. But, you know, Ben, as I'm sure you can say, there are other ways to get stuff into space. But he has made it, he's almost kind of cornered the market on that as well, which gives him unbridled power in some ways. This is the path to supervillaindom. And, you know, (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg mining Facebook for all that stuff that you scroll, getting all kinds of data on you, selling that, Instagram. You know, these guys start out as, I want to change the world. But it quickly becomes, I want to rule the world. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. And you also have to think about like the competitors coming up behind you, too, because, you know, you have Facebook, but Facebook is, you know, it's not really cool anymore. They, yeah, they still have a lot of uh, users and whatnot. But, you know, you have um, I was going to say Snapchat. It's not Snapchat. If you have TikTok uh, mm-hmm. coming up on their heels, which is it, its own scary government that's uh, next situation. on my list. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you still have this problem. It's always a cycle, too, because there's mm-hmm. always something new coming. You know, SpaceX is the dominant force now, and uh, maybe they'll stay that way, but maybe they won't. You know, there's all sorts of new rocket startups coming up behind them, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are populated by former SpaceX engineers um, <laughs> who might have some ideas of how to do things better than the way SpaceX is doing them. And so you, you, there's this constant cycle in engineering and tech of, you know, people breaking off and starting something new and, and beating the original who was uh, there in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan and Ben, I, I don't want, you know, I hesitate to disagree with both of you here, but that's, that's a good instinct, say, then, and that's a very good instinct. No, I, I, I do. But, yeah. you know, sort of after my experience, experience being an AI apocalypse denier on the show mm-hmm. and all the computer trouble I had, mm-hmm. I just want to say Twitter's wonderful. Facebook's wonderful. <laughs> whoever's listening, you're wonderful. <laughs> um, I, I'm not part of these two guys. I'm not with them. <laughs> um, j- just saying, just saying, yeah. for the record. Yeah. You got to cover your AI's bases. AI's wonderful. You got to cover your bases, Denon. Got to cover the bases. Look, I, I respect that. I mean, here. so here's another guy that I think is interesting, right? Steve Jobs and the iPhone. I think that mm-hmm. fits in early with, you know, a guy who probably had the best intentions. And you, you, any, any of us who have been to hell know exactly what the road to there is paved with. <laughs> and, you know, on, on I did a fascinating Nounce episode on local newspapers. In one of the towns that has a very strong local newspaper, the main guy, John Wright, who designed the iPhone, he now lives in this small town, basically off-grid, knowing full well the ramifications of the iPhone, which I don't think all of them were good. I think a lot of them were bad. It fundamentally changed society for sure. But, you know, everyone's staring at their phone and having their brains altered, uh, having their attention spans shortened, you know, lack of communication. I could go on and on here. This isn't a rant for me. Well, Dan, I I have to give a personal example of that that I just find very funny. So, you know, we— I was had my whole um, team of staff directors together. We were having a discussion of the budget and the budget plan and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I made a statement about something. And because, you know, I am a tech genius, mm-hmm. I have not figured out how to turn off Siri on my watch. So I made my <laughs> statement. And as soon as I finished it, my watch in a very loud voice goes, I'm sorry, I did not understand that. Can you explain <laughs> it again? <laughs> That's funny. 
Hey, Siri's, now, Siri's got a sense, timed. now Siri's got a sense of humor. They're stealing comedy from us. Uh, you know, this is <laughs> that's brilliant timing. That's amazing. Well, and you know, speaking of brilliant timing, I love that story, by the way, Dennett. Uh, but you mentioned TikTok, Ben. There yes. is a, here. Here's the here's the insidious brilliance of TikTok. It has mm-hmm. it's a Chinese company. Right. And we mm-hmm. all know that there are no independent Chinese companies in China. Nope. <laughs> it's, it's become so immensely popular here. You've got th- millions of Americans uploading stuff, looking at it constantly. It is mm-hmm. such a threat that the United States government is considering banning it in the States. But it mm-hmm. has been so good. I, simple people. Right. You, you, people. People are very simple, I think. And that's not an insult. I think I'm as simple as anyone else. But we like the things we like. We don't quite understand why it's bad. And, you know, people don't want to see TikTok banned. I, for one, have never been on TikTok. Den, and I know you've flirted with the idea several times and I've tried to talk you out of it, by God, um, because I care about you as an individual and your freedoms. <laughs> and I don't want you to become, you know, a commie pinko. So that's always been my fear. But this is the type of stuff that can happen because a lot of this technology, it's it's geared towards affecting us mentally and we love it and we want to incorporate it, but it's not always good for us. So this mm-hmm. begs the question, these people who are changing the world with their genius, are they geniuses or are they madmen? Are they both? Does genius require madness? Does it require eccentricities? What is the connection? I think this is very important to consider when you are talking about this topic. Well, I think there's a couple of things. You can clearly, if everyone believes you're a genius, you can clearly be eccentric, and that's considered an (laughs) add-on and a bonus and cool. So, like, Dan, as an analytical mastermind, can clearly wear orange and yellow. Right. And that is cool, right? Right. If someone else were to wear it, <laughs> it, it would just be like, it would be problematic, mm-hmm. let's just say. Yeah. Um, but what I think has happened in our society is we equate the two too strongly. And that's what I loved actually about Glass Onion is it really poked holes in this idea that just because you're eccentric mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're a genius, mm-hmm. right? And what, what his genius really was, spoiler alert to those who've not seen the movie, was using others. Yeah. I mean, he did have one level of genius. He was a pretty good blackmailer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, maybe <laughs> yeah. even genius level blackmailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that was it. Right. Like that was his skill. And he was eccentric. And so he he played into the trope. Um, as a as a chameleon, he hit himself, and everyone thought he was a genius mm-hmm. when he really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that fascinating. I, and that was one of the things about the movie I actually really loved is that that underlying story. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's really tricky when you think about it because to have the level of hubris it takes to think you can change the world mm-hmm. that one it re- requires a level of narcissism and hubris to to feel you're that important, but it also requires I think you know, to some degree, a little bit of stupidity to realize, to not realize you're probably not that important or maybe, (laughs) Mm -hmm. or maybe it's, you're so smart that you realize you are that important. It's hard to say, Mm -hmm. but, um, there, there's, there's a level of not giving up and, and being willing to ignore the difficulties and the long odds of success in these world, in these areas that, I think you do need to be a little bit dumb so that you can ignore how hard it is to succeed. <laughs> you know, I, I like that. I think that's really important. I want to comment on my look, then, and I am, I do look like an eccentric billionaire. That is my look today. I've been, you know, play, you know, as you guys know, I've been playing with a lot of different looks. 
And I'm, I'm glad you said that I could pull this one off. I, I thought I could, too. Uh, but I think you raise a couple of interesting questions here, Ben, because I think I fall into the category of being too dumb to realize that it's very difficult to succeed. And I do think that that is an asset. I, I think that being yeah. a little delusional is an asset, not getting taken down by all the failures that are inevitably going to come in this cruel and uncaring world that we all occupy. Uh, but I also exactly. want to ask another question for you guys. If we're talking about genius, madman, eccentricities, all this, I think we have to answer what is a genius? Because I think there's two options. One, it's either brain, the, your brain's computational power or mm -hmm. it's the uniqueness of the brain structure, meaning that you can see things differently, different, more differently than the most other human beings, if not all other human beings on the planet. Those two things will make you different than everyone else. And I think once you can think differently, you can then change the, the structures that exist and see the efficiencies or see a, a, a way that we can make society better. I think it's required, you know, and I think sometimes you may even need to border on madness because madness is really a, a whole altering of seeing reality. And you need a little bit of that to see things out of phase so that you can then improve and, and expound upon the things that already exist. And, and even better, you get to see a magic eye puzzle work. Um, that's the but, yeah. I think that that's exactly right. Well, the world becomes yeah. your magic eye puzzle, Denon. The whole world it exactly. Well, I, I think I think the thing you said at the beginning is is what's interesting and important to me. Uh, everything you said is interesting, but that Thank one's you. particularly interesting, right? Is I think of it as a Venn diagram. There's genius and there's eccentric, and they do overlap mm -hmm. um, because I think you're right. There's two types of, at least two types of genius. One that I would call, I liked your definition, sheer computational power. Right? There's there's just an ability to do things better, faster, um, quicker than maybe other people can do certain tasks. And that type of genius does help you move forward and allows you to sort of do certain things that other people can't. Um, and then I do think there is the genius of just seeing something in a completely new and a different way. Mm -hmm. And that overlaps strongly with our general sense of being eccentric, because eccentric is being an individual, doing it your own way, right. doing something new and unique. And so those clearly, that, that type of genius and that type of eccentric goes together. Um, and then I think there is just ex eccentric that is just eccentric. It's doing things differently, but it doesn't necessarily lead to any motion forward. It doesn't necessarily lead to something new. Um, and I think I think the Glass Onion main character, his eccentricity, like I said, the genius it overlapped with is is sort of blackmailing people. Mm -hmm. um, he was very creative in that, but it didn't really give him ability to do anything else sure. to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he was also very good at identifying quality talent mm -hmm. yes right. which is, is an important thing you know when you, when you think about the the successful uh businesses out there you know you there's unfortunately often is kind of the business savvy jerk at the top of the company mm -hmm. and then you hear stories about the actual smart people underneath <laughs> them who are inspired for whatever reason to work really hard for that success um and that's kind of the nature of of business is you you kind of do need somebody at the top who is is not willing to accept no for an answer is will is pushing for that no failure accepted model from the actual people who do the work because the actual people who do the work they only have time to think about the work and you kind of do need that that person that structure at the top that says 
no, we can do this better. We can do this better. Yeah. Well, I also think that there uh, that makes sense. But I think there's another form of genius, which is understanding how human beings work, both as individuals, mm-hmm. the psychology, but also as a group, the sociology. And I think, you know, your P.T. Yeah. Barnum's. You know, um, and I think yeah. Richard Branson and Elon Musk fit into this category because really what Elon has done is he's made space, space exploration, space in general, sexy again. Right. People are interested in it. You know, we stopped landing on the moon yeah. in 1972 for various different reasons. And that was the end. Of, so 1969 was the end of the Cowboys. And now you've got everyone wants to be an astronaut. Well, after 1972, people didn't really care that much about space anymore because we weren't doing it. There's a little bit of an uptick when we started sending rovers to Mars. But surprise, surprise, we're sending robots. We're not sending people. It's hard to get behind robots. Thank God, or they'd be taken over already. Uh, But but I think Elon really was able to make it cool to go into space. And that might be his superpower is making technology really cool. It's what he did with Tesla cars as well. And I think the problem here, Dan, is making things cool is a great superpower until you what you're deciding to do is murder. And I think that's the other <laughs> lesson from Glass Onion. Yeah. <laughs> right? Point taken, Dan. Point taken. He, he tried to make murder cool. Mm-hmm. And to your point, I, I'm with you, Dan. Like, push through failures, ignore failures, mm-hmm. right? You got to get it wrong to get it right. Mm-hmm. But again, if your goal is murder, you don't have a practice run. <laughs> You get it wrong, you get arrested. And that's what this showed. So, you know, you say it at the end, it's our tagline at the end. You want to be a superhero because trying to be a superhero, you can get wrong multiple times and you're given more chances. Get that supervillain wrong once, it's not a good outcome. I think there are a lot yeah. of successful serial killers out there who would disagree with you, but... Well, they didn't get it wrong. They didn't get it wrong until the I end. I guess that's fair enough. That's okay. that's my point, <laughs> right. right? It's right. a field you can't get it wrong in. Right. Not that you can't be successful. <laughs> I, I, I yield to the to the, uh, to the, well, the, well, the well-thought-out argument. That's, that's a good point. Well, now that we've cleared that up, then, uh, and I'm glad that you have, not that I was thinking about, you know, any kind of psychopathic tendencies, not at all, but I'm glad you cleared it up because I think it's important, but it, it, it was something I missed for sure. But if there's anything else that, that you missed, Denon, this is a place to do it. This is our errors, additions, and omissions section, things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Anything about Glass Onion that you wanted to mention? Yeah, well, this is an omission. Okay. Um, I really think the best puzzle-solving technique for a puzzle box is to smash it up. Um, I loved, <laughs> I love that solution. It cuts right to the chase. Yeah. We talked about eccentric thinking outside the box, mm. um, pun intended. Literally. Um, mm-hmm. But I did realize in thinking about this, it only works if the thing inside survives smashing. In right. this case, it was an invitation. Nothing better than a flat letter. Um, hence. Burning the box to get it open would have been a bad solution because yes. you would have mm-hmm. burned the letter. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But smashing, very valid solution in this case. Yeah, I think that that's a very good point, Denon. Uh, one that we should, you know, if any of us send each other, Ben, you were going to send us some stuff. Be careful, Denon may smash the crap out of it. Uh, so be careful. Uh, what about you, Ben? Anything we miss you want to talk about? Well, to add on to Denon's point there, I think it just shows the true genius of the one who of the person who smashed the box mm-hmm. in that they knew. Uh, that what whatever would be sent would be something that wouldn't be damaged. And so clearly (laughs) they knew the best and quickest way to get what they wanted Mm -hmm. was to smash the box rather than all this rigmarole of 
playing Bach on a delay and slide <laughs> puzzles and blah, blah, blah. Who's got time for that? Right. Just, just get a hammer. <laughs> get a hammer. Look, uh, you know, a, a carpenter would be best. So a carpenter all the world is a hammer, and sometimes yep. when you've got a box you don't want to mess around with, the best idea is to smash it. Uh, so I've got a couple of things here. Uh, one is that I love the sub-story uh, of excessive faxing. Because I, 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 I'm amazed at how many offices still have a fax machine. And I remember mm -hmm. dealing with my grandmother, who, who's uh, 97. She's almost a century old, which is so cool to me. Uh, but dealing with a lot of her medical stuff, that's how they send everything is via faxes. Because, then, and you're going to love this, it's analog security. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's nothing you can't hack into a, into a fax being sent and who would want to. Uh, so I, I do love that. That's that was really cool. And also we see a Boston Dynamics dog in the first sequence basically being a butler and a bellhop. And, you know, I, I can't help but feel that the, that dynamic is going to be switched. That Boston Dynamics is going to be switched when the <laughs> human becomes the bellhop to the robotic dog. Uh, so I, that's that's my thoughts. I don't know what's going to happen there, but of course, if if you've got anything that we've missed, uh, even through this airs, this very this very comprehensive airs editions and omissions section, you can get in touch with us. We can find us on social media. The best way find us on Twitter at f triple g b t pod on Facebook at f triple g b t, and you can send a question to us via email. Questions at f triple g b t dot com is the way to do that. But of course, you can get in touch with us individually, Denon. Where can people find you? Well, hopefully you can still find me on Twitter, um, Instagram, <laughs> and LinkedIn. Just flip my name, at Den and Michael. Mm -hmm. um, and then on Facebook, I think I'm still there. You stick a prof in front. It's at Prof Den and Michael. Well, I hope so, Denon, because we're sending everyone there. And by God, hopefully Twitter will be around by the time this episode airs. What about you, Ben? <laughs> Where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How the heck do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found for now on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. I got thrown off a little bit there. I think those are right, at least as of this airing. Those are correct. And of course, you can find this show at, at www.fgbt.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And tell us in the comments if you're a puzzle box solver or a puzzle box smasher. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, and of course, you've been given a lot of information here that could be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. It is your duty to take what we've given you and to do good with it. Remember, no matter the situation, when confronted, you want to become a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there. 
fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.